Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Cobbleman. Thanks for listening. I mean, this is awesome. This is a, such a thrill for me because uh, my guest today is Heidi Schreck. And I first came to know Heidi by reading one of her plays and then meeting her when um, we were hiring people for the very first season of Billions. And Heidi wrote one of my favorite episodes of that season, um, the episode where Axe is considering uh, getting on a yacht and, and leaving. And uh, we worked together closely and had a great experience. And then Heidi went off and was like a co-showrunner on uh, the show I Love Dick. And before that, she'd worked in television before, but has recently had just an uh, astounding amount of success and is Tony nominated and Pulitzer Prize nominated and has won a bunch of awards for writing in, starring in uh, What the Constitution Means to Me on Broadway. On the Broadway, I've seen the show and I had tears in my eyes um, of both uh, from the show itself and from just seeing you in that situation, Heidi. And Thank you, Brian. It's so great to have you here. Uh, make sure you're close enough to yep, the mic. Yeah. Because otherwise you have to project like you're on I do. I do. Like I have stage. to scream and then I lose my voice. So get close uh, to the mic. I'm and here. then. So I have to just start here, Heidi. Like, what does it feel like to be 47 and finally, this giant success, like in all definable ways, forever, you've succeeded. You made it. There's not a question mark or a doubt or an ellipsis like, this happened. What does this feel like to you? Uh, it Well, I'm... Because I perform the eight, the show eight times a week, it's hard for me to process what is happening. <laughs> I am... Um, I'm just, I'm doing the show all the time. I mean, truly, this is, uh, you know, to be on Broadway uh, is like the dream of my 10-year-old self. So, and it's a dream that I really had given up on. I really had, I'd moved to mostly working in television. I loved the theater, but didn't think I would probably return. And so uh, it's an unexpected dream come true and quite surreal. I'm not going to lie. It was, it's completely not what I expected from this show. I made it the way I made all my other plays, which is for an audience of about 70 people <laughs> downtown. Uh, didn't change anything about the way I make my work. And, and here I am suddenly. I, I mean, I, I get that it's hard to process because it's going on. On the other hand... You know, when you're in a writer's room with someone, you get to know them well, right? Yes. So, on the other hand, you are someone who was keenly aware of feeling like the state of flux all sort of writers are in wasn't fun for you. Yes, that is true. So, it must land for you in some way that this change has happened. Like, beyond just, oh, I wanted this as a 10-year-old. Like, for, for you as an artist, like, how does it... Do you... Do you feel like you finally lived up to what you were supposed to be? I, I feel. Hmm, or the world an finally noticed. Question, yeah, right? Did, no, it's it really interesting. I mean, I do feel. Um, I yeah, I suppose I do feel like I, I've lived up to what I, I sort of only hoped <laughs> um, my life might become. But also, I feel a great. I feel a great sense of um, uh, pleasure in the fact that I've been doing this for, you know, 30 years, really. And I worked, I've been working in the theater my whole life. I've been a writer my whole life and an actor. And the fact that I, that I 
that I, I think the work I've put in has has yielded this moment is is in, intensely gratifying. It truly is. I didn't. I, I I wanted it to do that, but as you know, it's a it's a strange business. You can never tell. You don't know what's going to happen, and so um, it feels really good to have all my lifetime of work um, come to this. Well, moment. I guess what I'm so fascinated by, because as you know, like this so resonates for me and what I always talk about and think about, is like after. The ups and downs, and you know, you 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 didn't just fall into television. Like you consciously went into television, and then there's economic security with television yes. on some level. Um, you also acted in billions. I want to say in episode <laughs> in episode one ten, yes. the funeral episode. Um, Heidi plays the minister, which was so great that you agreed to. I to, was very to excited do that. to be and an Episcopal minister. Willie wrote that episode, but then you got to write those sections of it for yes. yourself, and we were all so happy to have you do it because we fully knew like you were had this special this gift. It's not many writers who like the EPs look at of a showrunners and go, "Hey, be in this thing." Um, but like I tell the story on billions about you know uh, uh, about Dave and me feeling like oh, fuck, we got to figure out a way to write our way into a different like life after a long career at this. Absolutely. And you found yourself in that spot in some way. Yes. And was it like, what made you finally ready to write about your childhood directly instead of, Mm -hmm. instead of characters or relationships that echoed it? Yep. Uh, How did you like get yourself to the place where you were like, fuck, I'm going to take the chance to put some, you know, that, that, I mean, you're like, like that yeah, risk of like finally, really, really I feel fine. sick to my stomach even when you're talking about right. it. Right. Yeah. Because it's so hard to have to go do that emotionally. Yes. Can, can you talk about where you were in your life? Like Absolutely. talk for a while. You're sure. a monologist. You can. Yep. Talk yep. about where you were in your life and what it felt like to me. Like, oh, fuck. I think I might have to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I well, I will say this. I um I'd been working on the play, you know, for about ten years before I first performed it, and I would say in some ways because it's so uh, intensely personal and was the first time I'd written about myself, you know, without disguising myself in other characters or hiding everything. Um, I sort of wrote it in secret, like I was constantly working on it on the side while doing other projects. I was constantly. It was also like a 4 a.m. project. A lot of times I would wake up at 4 a.m. and like secretly write for an hour and then be like, okay, now I, I owe someone a script, so I have to do that. So it felt like a thing I was constantly researching and doing on the side. Um, and the only way I could do it was to tell myself that that no one would ever have to see it. Like I think from the moment I started working on it, I was like, the only way I can write about these things is because I don't ever have to give it to anyone. It's not lucrative. No one's paying me to do it. <laughs> Nobody's waiting for it. Nobody cares about it. So I can write all of this stuff because I can keep it in my drawer. So that's what happens. And that's sort of what happened when I did it at Club Thumb. I was working, I had pretty much decided that I was, my career was going to be television. And that was you know, initially motivated by money. I was completely broke working as a playwright and stage actor in New York. I oh, don't come important. from money. I was, we were like, okay, we, we're in, in our 40s now. We have my husband and I, uh, who's, my husband's a theater director, Kip Fagan. We were like, we, we've got to come up with some other plans. <laughs> Which, you know, I, re- I think I remember telling Kip, and I was like, my plan is TV writing. He was like, okay, but that's also a hard thing to... <laughs> to actually get into. Right. <laughs> but that did work out for me. So I was doing that. And then 
Maria Stryer from Club Storm, this amazing theater I work with downtown, have worked with for 15 years. Um, Trump had just been elected and she came to me and said, that play about the Constitution and your family and women's bodies, you have to do that play now. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't think it's ready. I don't feel like it. Um, I had performed versions of it, you know, at like PS122 and other downtown places. And she was like, I think you have the to do it now. The whole play you had performed, Heidi? Basically my whole section, my whole monologue. Right. Yes, I had performed that while Obama was still president. Um, the part that was just you before your... Yes, before, before any, my debate partner. Before your debate partner, but also the... But the guy was in it. You mean? The guy was in it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. My, yeah. my legionnaire. My legionnaire and... and Positive male energy. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so you, I want to just a couple. Yeah, yeah, sure. To go back, like to bring you back to. It. Yeah. So everyone says like, um. So I was broke in New York. So how did you end up getting? Put us there. Put us in, sure. in the time. Uh, the time in New York when, as an artist, because you stuck it out. You're four. Like, just yeah. bring us to what got you there. Sure, I, I'm happy to do that. I was. So 2012 was sort of the nadir. I had been working as, I had a couple plays done off-Broadway. I was the most successful as an actor I'd ever been. I was working constantly off-Broadway, constantly getting cast, and I was making less money than I had ever made before because I'd given up my day job, which was teaching English as a second language. How long did you do that? Um, how long did, Were you did teaching I? English was, as oh, a second language? from 2003 to 2012. While, while acting, while writing. Um, so I had to go to the Actors Fund to help me pay my portion of the rent. At that point, my husband and I still split the rent half and half. And so I needed like $700. And I went to the Actors Fund and they will grant you like a one-time take the money. You don't have to pay it back. So they gave me that money. And that's when I started writing my pilot that I think you read. When I was like, yeah. I'm going to get a job on television. <laughs> So that I can make actual money and pay my rent. Yeah, I read the play. Dave read the pilot, and then we switched. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that's how he read the pilot first. Right. So I read the play first. I know that. Right. Yeah. So then the following year, 2013, I was in a play with Edie Falco that was written by my friend Liz Flayhive, who now runs the show Glow on Netflix. Love that show. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, I gave her my pilot to read, just for advice. Edie, notes. Edie, or your uh, no, partner, or Liz Flayhive. Okay. So Liz Flayhive was a. A co-executive producer on Nurse Jackie at that time. So I gave Liz my pilot. She really liked it. She gave me some notes. I worked on it. And then she said, we're hiring a staff writer on Nurse Jackie. Why don't you come interview for that? And I think between her support, you know, her support, and I had become very close with the ED by this time, I got that job on Nurse Jackie. That was my first TV job. What made you when think when you're, you're here, you're doing... Plays. I mean, I can imagine that it was humiliating to have to go to the Actors Fund for that. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've, as you know from my play, I, I earned my college money doing constitution contests. So, like, because I don't come from money and, and wait, you know, just a couple generations back come from pretty intense poverty. Like, we're all pretty comfortable being grifters, I think. <laughs> you, I mean, not that I was a grifter with the Actors Fund, but I don't feel bad asking for money when I need it. <laughs> Well, so did you not? Did you also not feel bad being here, broke in the career, working out in certain ways, and not like were you desperate, or you did you have no, the confidence that this would no. work out? I guess you know I worked in the theater, and all my friends who worked in the theater were in similar situations, and I and I 
thanks to my parents, I think I grew up really believing um, – I love the theater. Like I, it's like my place of worship. I, it's, um, I am in love with the theater and I, I've known from the time I was a kid that, that there is not really money in theater unless you write a big, huge hit musical. Um, so I always saw what I did as a vocation and not, you know, a career, not a, yeah, not a money career. Consciously. Consciously. Yeah. And you were okay with that. I was totally okay with that. So the only in terms of having to ask the Actors Fund for money, that was like frustrating and confusing and it was really more practical. My husband and I had very practical conversations, which was like, okay, how are we just going to, you know, make sure that we can have a place to live and food to eat? I, I say all this with, you know, we are not, we are also very privileged people. Like at any, like our version of poverty is not the version of poverty that most people in this country but are living with. But yeah. Standard of living, was, you I, were, but the standard of living that was a, and, and look, your show, yeah. I mean, your show does a really great job of talking about the legacy of where you come from. Yes. Of what people would do for money. Yes. Of legacies of abuse and yeah. um, women trying to have their own place and carving. I mean, that... You know, right? I, and I, I, I guess living the life you describe in the show must have made you somewhat comfortable that you could get by on your wits if you had to. Absolutely, I've always felt that. I mean, I always knew that you knew I you would were be smart because okay, you were getting. We would be okay. Like I would find a job somehow, somewhere. I would pay. The only reason I couldn't pay my rent is that I had given up my other ways of earning money to devote my life to the theater. <laughs> were you concerned about the fact that you're st- before this TV move? Cause I want to talk about how that happened. Were you, were you concerned? Did you wonder why your stuff hadn't connected in a bigger way? Did you have, were you comfortable having a small audience who, cause you know, you would, I mean, one of your best friends, Became a sensation while we were working on Billions, right? Yes. And Annie Baker. Yes. And I always, like, what did that feel like? You guys were peers, contemporaries, kind yeah, of. I mean, the... she's 10 years younger than I am, yes. Uh, even, <laughs> even more so. Yes. Even more so. Yeah. You got, but but um, she becomes the toast of New York and Hollywood in the world. And did, what did that, I mean, how did that all feel to you? Um. Well, first of all, Annie did incredible things for my career. I mean, she cast me. Yeah. She cast me in her play Circle Mirror Transformation right. in two thousand nine, um, and so that that brought me in a new kind of uh, attention as an actor. And yeah. also, she's one of the the people in my life who said, "You." I was doing more acting than writing at the time, and she said, "You really have to keep writing. Like, you you really need to write." So I found her. To be, I, in fact, this is true in my life a lot. I've had a lot of younger women as mentors. Um, awesome. Annie Baker, Liz Vlahive, Carly Mensch, who also runs Glow. Um, so I didn't, and also we we were of the same. I mean, look, being a playwright in America is is not different. It's sort of akin to being a poet in America. It's just like you don't ne- you don't really go into it thinking you're your work is going to connect with a huge swath of people or that you're going to make a lot of money. Now, you know that maybe you can turn that into television writing or screenwriting, but like most of the playwrights I know, and certainly the group I grew up with, um, which are people like Ann Washburn, people like Jenny Schwartz, um, uh, the, uh, David Adjami, this whole like group of what I would call like downtown playwrights, um, they... 
I just don't think that was ever our goal. But then when it yeah. happened for Annie, when she wrote, I mean, one of my favorite plays ever, yes. Flick, you know, when she wrote that and then what the other one, one the other yes. one right before or after that, that everyone freaked out over. Right. Did it make you think, okay, this is doable? Like, cause I know when I can relate to it when a couple of friends of mine had TV shows of ours, of Dave and mine yeah. ran TV shows and they started to happen. I had actually for both. Um, if I look at Dan and Dave, uh, um, the Thrones people, and I look at Derek Haas, who has three shows on TV, there was not a moment that I felt bad about. I, all I felt was, that's so awesome. This is a path that's possible. Right, so right. So did, did Annie's success, Matt, like hit you that way? Or, or you just thought, well, this is the way it all happens. Like sometimes it hits, sometimes. I, I think that that was more the way I thought about it, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like this. I thought the the the, the practical role, like the only road to success that it felt like I could control was maybe to get into television or screenwriting because there's just a more obvious like path or something. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I don't know why. I maybe because I also I I lived in Seattle for you know seven years and had a theater company there, which is that that's not a place you're ever going to get mainstream success. I moved to New York and worked primarily downtown and an experimental theater like even way more experimental than the playwrights I named like I did a lot I did a I worked with this theater called theater of a two-headed calf I um uh you know Mike Iveson is in my play now is with elevator repair service I was going to work for a while with them until I got a different job but like but downtown experimental theater was what I was interested in you loved that yes and when when you started uh showing so I want to go to tv actually so because um, one of the things, you know, we talk about the thing is, is, is having this big dream and then working with rigor toward it. And your show is completely about, you know, it's totally about rigor um, and being rigorous enough to accept challenges and, and find a way to communicate. Uh, but one of the things is you, you, you had these twin loves of acting and writing. Yes. And it did seem like you, I mean, it really did seem like you'd bear, like made a choice to to not act. And I wonder when you took the TV job, the first one as a writer, did you have to take a deep breath and tell yourself, okay, I'm this part of my life I'm walking away from for a while? Yes. I mean, the, <laughs> well, it was interesting because the, my first week in the writer's room of Nurse Jackie, I was still acting in Shakespeare in the Park. So I was doing that at night and then coming to the writer's room during the day. So it felt still felt like my lives were a little bit married. But once I started working in TV, as um, as you know very well, I realized that, oh, to work in this, you can't, you really can't do anything else. It devours your life. Running a TV show or even working on a TV show is like... It's one of the most intense experiences I've ever had. So I realized that if I was really going to commit to TV, that I would have to give up that part of my life, at least for a while. And I was really sad about that. It felt actually physically, viscerally painful to me. Okay, yes. talk more about that and about how one how one sort of like makes that kind of choice. And then like lives with it like was it hard like just talk a little bit about that I think because people are st always stuck like you can't really do everything at the same like right. it's really hard how did you figure out which thing um I mean I'm you probably know this about me because we've worked together I'm one of those people who don't who doesn't necessarily like 
I, I, I get to the point where I have to become so miserable before I'm like, okay, you know what? I have to make a change. I have to like go back to acting because I'm actually desperately miserable and unhappy. But I will like, you know, fake it for a long time or I just convince myself that, you know what? It's going to be fine. I don't need to do that anymore. This is the thing I, I have passion for now. And I did and do have passion for it. But I, um, I sort of didn't let myself acknowledge how, how big it felt. What a big sacrifice it felt to give up acting and when you until got- I was so miserable. We will be back with the brilliant Heidi Shrek in a moment, but let's talk about something that is harder than it needs to be, and that is finding freelance talent for your business or project. Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive. Look, where do you go to find the talent? How much will it cost? How can you be sure they'll deliver? Fiverr, that's where Fiverr comes in. Thanks to Fiverr, finding the right freelancer doesn't have to be a struggle. I'll tell you, I know because of what I do, how hard it is to find somebody to fill in, especially for like an important project, time sensitive, has to get done. You wanna make sure that you're gonna find someone reliable, but also somebody great. And that is not easy. Here's the thing, Fiverr's Marketplace connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, more. Find what you're looking for instantly. Search by service, delivery time, price, reviews, more, so that there are no surprises. You'll know exactly what you're paying for up front. No negotiation needed. They have all these services you can trust. They use seller ratings, levels, buyer feedback. It's simple to review, compare, and purchase the services you need from sellers you trust. And no transaction is complete till you're 100% satisfied with the work you receive. They also have 24-7 customer service, which in this day and age is a great and rare thing. Look, take five and check out fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, and you will receive 10% off your first order by using my code MOMENT. It's so easy, don't waste any more time. Get the service you deserve by going to F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code MOMENT. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code MOMENT. (laughs) A playwright has this tremendous amount of autonomy. Yes. So people are always interested in writer's room processes, and I don't think I've had, maybe I've had one, I did, I've had one uh, best actor, my good pal, is a, now she helps run shows, but she was kind of a writer on shows when she came in here, but... I haven't had many people who've done all the stuff. So talk about what that felt like and feels like to, I mean, your situation is that you don't have to do that anymore, but what that felt like to go from that place of autonomy in your writing to having to do this job that is definitely being an artist, but is also being something else. Yes. Um, and how you processed it and how you got, th- how you learned how to make that negotiation with yourself. <laughs> That's, uh, it was, uh, my first season on Nurse Jackie, that was the hardest thing to navigate. That was because I was like, I think I was 41. I, you know, the, the great thing about my life is that I had had artistic autonomy in so many ways. I mean, look, I'm an actor, so I'm used to collaborating. I'm also used to enacting other people's visions but that's a whole different comes from a kind different of it comes of from you. a different part it's it's interpretation it's, it's akin to being a musician so it but but yeah to have my writing suddenly in the service of this whole other group of people this machine in a way too because as you know tv is a machine you have to 
you just have so much story you have to get out there <laughs> that there's not, you also have to work at a, a certain kind of pace that can be really difficult. So that first year on Nurse Jackie was really hard for me. And I, I had to, well, there were two things going on. One, I had to learn how to do it. Like I wasn't good at it yet, writing for TV, writing those kinds of stories, writing at that pace. So I had to swallow my ego and really learn from the people around me. And that's where Liz Flayhive and Carly Mench came in. They were great to me. They, they, t I asked them a ton of questions. I, I would go in my office and cry and then invite them in and say, can you just explain to me how to write this outline? Cause I really <laughs> don't understand this form. <laughs> yes. But that is part of your process beating yourself. I mean, I, I saw that too. No, you're right. It's I saw a weekend. Process. I mean, I did yeah. see the results of a weekend once where you felt that way when you knew how to do it even. No, it's true. It's true. That is like you must you beat yourself up to write well, right? It seems. I think so. Or I just have to go. I'm pretty emotionally volatile. So I think I have to go through a, like a whole. I know when I'm getting somewhere when I start like crying because I'm like, okay, I think I'm getting to like. Connect to this. What's actually going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then to learn like, oh, I can, you know, I can put my best idea out there and it's not right for the show or it's my group is going to collectively agree that it's not right or my showrunner is going to say that's that's that doesn't work or they're going to put out an idea that I completely object to and I'm going to have to write it. That was um, that was a struggle. Yeah, so how, okay, so a lot of people yeah. have to learn that in whatever, like yeah. at the job that they're at, they have to, they... And it, 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 it makes you go home and drink sometimes, right? Sure. So how did you – So, but you were in a position where this is really important to you. Like this is a gigantic opportunity. So most people, maybe the stakes are like you can't lose your job, so you have to be a certain way. But the upside, you're, you had to recognize, well, there is this potential big upside here, which is like Absolutely. really change the quality of my day-to-day -day life. And yes. maybe I can learn how to do something. But egos take a real beating in this game. Absolutely. Um, in all of show business and in being a playwright, but sure. it's a different kind of ego beating in a writer's room. Yes. Even run by the most lovely people because you're going to hear the word no all the time. Yes. So just talk a bit about what that felt like and how what you what your self-talk was like to get through it. I think that's valuable to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. My self-talk... The hardest thing for me, especially in the Nurse Jackie writer room, because was because I first of all I was incredibly lucky. I was writing for these actresses, Edie Falco and Merritt Weaver, and like it, it couldn't have been. And then, like four of the five writers were playwrights, and so I, they were people I knew. I was like, I could have not have been put into a, in some ways more accommodating, protected cocoon, protected cocoon yeah, which was great. But the hard thing for me, especially at first, was. Um, you know, writers' rooms go quickly and people are talking over each other and then like putting an idea out there and just having nobody respond to it. <laughs> Especially when they're people you actually respect. Uh, that like that sort of happened to me a lot the first week, in part because I didn't know what kinds of ideas were needed. So I was just kind of saying whatever and came you were to my mind. Too. Oh yeah. I wanted to, you know, be good at it. I wanted to live up to it and impress everyone. So that so after that first week, I, my self-talk after the first week was like, you know what? It's okay that you don't quite know how to do this yet. There's no reason you should. It's the first time. You're a staff writer, which there's a lot of leeway because, you know, everyone knows you haven't done it before. So my, my self-talk after the first week was, why don't you try to listen for the next couple of weeks 
and not talk and observe, like just really deeply take in what's going on around you and listen for the kinds of stories, the kinds of ideas that your colleagues are responding to. So that was really helpful for the next two weeks I think I was completely silent no one seemed to mind <laughs> right because you were learning as I was learning did you journal to, to, how do you how do you take your own temperature um I actually I don't journal um but that's because I feel like I'm talking to myself all the time so that's a question so that's <laughs> yeah. what you're yeah. you're always in a sort of very frank dialogue with yourself I think so, where you're yes. making plans and making plans I yeah. mean probably from surviving as a kid like Probably. To survive as a kid, right? You had to come up with strategies. Yes, constantly. Dealing with your grandmother, your mother, your father. You had to come up with, I mean, this is all in your show, but you had to come up with strategies to yes. survive. I'm I'm good at strategy. I'm good at, um, yeah, I think this is not the proper way to use it. But, but I, you know, I talk about covert resistance in my play, which is the idea that if you're in a situation where you don't have the power, there are lots of ways to to take action in sort of um, invisible or sneaky ways. And I, I have that probably very deeply ingrained in me because of my family and also as a woman in this culture. So there was a sense in which I was constantly in dialogue with myself saying like, okay, how am I going to get good at this? How am I going to um, like make myself essential to this team? What, what, are, what can I bring to it? How do I like fit into this new environment? There's just a lot of... Self. So this talk, is yeah. spectacular and important to dig into, because the great majority of us in that situation would just blame the bosses for not getting it right. I mean, you've seen it. And that's what most yes. of us do. Yes. So, but of course, like the great relationship advice is in a relationship. If it's one you want to stay in, and it's not abusive, and right. not an unhealthy relationship, but in a relationship. It's always better to see what you can change to make it better yes. as opposed to looking to the, your partner to change, right? Because they'll notice and they'll change. Like the, the thing you can get. But none of us, you know, it's very hard to do it's it. It's very hard to do it. So what do you think made you able in that high pressure, high stakes situation, what do you think made you able to go, wait, they're rejecting my – because they're rejecting my ideas, especially for people like us, often leads to – well, I know my right. ideas They're are good. Stupid. Audiences I'm, like them. Yeah, yeah. They're fucking idiots, right? And like sometimes I'm sure they miss good ideas. That's the the game, right? Absolutely. But uh, what do you think it is that taught you? Like what life experiences up to that point uh, taught you to like actually instead go, well, well, how can I change so that I can make this work? Because that's hard. I think, well, number one, therapy. I have the most incredible therapist in the world. <laughs> Truly. I, and I, at that point, had been with her for about three years. Um, so I had learned that skill in practice with her once a week. About for, life, you mean? You about learned life, this idea about of everything. Like... Yes, about like, you know, her advice is always like, okay, that dynamic is real. I mean, maybe that person is a terrible boss. Uh but let's like look at the way it's like alive in your own psyche. Like what is the thing that you're – given that you can't change that person, like what is – how is this playing out inside of you? What are, what are your options? And like you said, if it's, a, if it's a situation you've decided to be in, um, 
then you you have to grapple with yourself. Like you can leave or you can grapple with and yourself. And did that mean like, your feelings yeah. weren't hurt or you just put that aside? Oh no, my feelings were totally hurt. Oh, this is important. Yes, <laughs> yes okay, of good. course. Right, so that week your feelings and, you know, were hurt. Yeah, my and, feelings were, yes. Okay, no. But I that's was crushed. Right, that's really important. I was important. so smart and yeah. And, right, you were, you were in a play with Edie Falco, you'd yeah. written these plays yeah. now you're in, and you thought, as like, oh, TV writing is going to be a relative piece of cake or I'll be able to yes. manage. I'm a smart person. I've been distinguished my whole life for being smart. And then you walked in a room and it's like, nobody likes what I have to say. Yes. So, but, so you, you absorbed the fact that you felt crushed. Yes. But then you were like, well, I'm not going to quit. Did you consider quitting? No. Right. No. So then it was like, well, I have to. I mean, it was a dream job. I needed the money. And I knew, and also I will say this, I knew that people were, and I do, I feel and very. I'll say, by the way, staff writer money, just so people know, at that time, I think it was probably 3,500 a, a, a week. Yes. So. Yes. It, you know, for and you're only guaranteed. I don't want to. So, what Heidi was going to get was basically ten weeks or fourteen weeks guaranteed. Yes. At around after paying commissions, around three thousand dollars a week, which yes. is which dramatically different money. Dramatically. So I right, because that's a guarantee time, of if yeah. it's ten weeks, that's thirty thousand dollars. Dramatically different. Totally for me at that time, life changing money because the, I, I believe right. at that time. The most you can make in an off-Broadway job acting was nine hundred a week. Right, so and that a, was like at the roundabout. That and was that's like in New theater. York, living in Brooklyn, yes. and Paying trying rent. to survive in New York. Your rent is seven hundred, you said, or yes. and you're making nine hundred before right. taxes. Right. Well, my half of the rent was seven hundred. Right. Making, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. having the rent is seven hundred. You're making nine hundred a week, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're living in New York, and it's real. It's just challenging to yes. survive yes. Um, at the way where you can like live a life of dignity and that you wanted to live. Right. So now this is triple that. Yes. Um, and would give you real breathing room. Right. And if you could make it last longer, right. You could really make a lot of money. Absolutely. Um, like, a, you know, save money, right. For right. the future. So you come in to the room then after that, and then start to figure out how to tell stories. Did you start to like it or was the first year all about survival? No, I did start to like it. And once I started to understand, I mean, it was a very, it, it was a deceptively simple thing to learn, which is that you have to pitch story. Like you can't just pitch like, oh, an interesting moment or like, here's a great, you know, character idea, which when you're writing your own play can take you very far. You know what I mean? Like everyone, I think I started feeling like, oh, everyone's going to want to hear the interesting things that are in my mind. And I'm like, they don't really, they need a story. <laughs> so you need to like figure out a way to, to say like, okay, here you just, I, I, what I started to do was, and actually I think Liz gave me this advice was, was get up in the mornings and, and just write out like, okay, okay, here's, three different story arcs this character could have in this episode. Here's like three way up with a beginning, middle, end. Here's like three things that could happen. And I'll write them in my notebook. And she did give me this advice, I remember. And I don't know if I'm going to say any of them. Right. Because maybe none of them will fit into where we go with the episode. Um, but I'm going to have them ready and then see if it feels like the right moment. Well, that's really great yeah. too because it arms you. It makes you feel, if called upon, I have something. And yes. then you're not scrambling. Right. Uh, and then you can listen. Then yes. you can actually be a participant. Exactly. That's great advice in almost any situation. If, yes. If you go in with something at least, um, uh, your weapon loaded, then you don't have to be like, well, what if I have to shoot somebody? What if I have to shoot somebody? You can actually just watch and see, is a fight breaking out, Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> totally. So you're in yeah. a different situation. And I right. think that really must have given you... Yes. I can see how that would give a sense, some sense of 
calm. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm prepared. I'm going to, I can be present. I can listen. And also I knew we had this other great writer on the show, Ellen Ferry. Abe Sylvie was the other, but they were a great room. This, that's the other thing I was going to say is I actually deeply trusted them. So I thought the other thing I thought was, okay, if, you know, the showrunners were new to me, so I was a little more wary probably of them, but the other writers I knew very well. And I trusted them, so I thought if they're not responding to my ideas, then I need to just take a step back and and investigate what I'm not bringing that I should be bringing. And during that time, because one thing about people who end up doing what what we do, the way um, somewhere in you, you you have the need to be really have recognition for of your course, yes. for for, <laughs> for the the things you see that nobody else sees right i mean yes. that's part of right so in the end for you being in a writer's room was never going to on somebody else's vision could never be the road no did, when did that start to become clear to you i mean probably working for david <laughs> me but, but no when did that yes working for billions i realized no i mean i think I think somewhere in there, I think both working for, well, so Nurse Jackie was just, that was just the learning. That was my boot camp. Did you write episodes early or episodes, not till the, no, se- the no, second season? No, no. They gave me an episode in my first season, which was very exciting and very traumatic. Do you recommend giving a staff writer an I've, episode in the, <laughs> their first season? I really don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, look, if, if right, I an episode that, with them could work. I'm trying to think, like, if I'm ever running my own show. You will be I, running your own I show. I think that I... I would do it with a backup plan. <laughs> and I say that as someone who was like, as my coworkers came in and really like, you know, yes. helped me in that situation. Um, I would do it with a backup plan. Uh, but no, I think I realized, so So if Nurse Jackie was the boot camp, it was just, that was a time, I didn't even have time then to think about like, is this making me happy or not? I was just trying to learn it. I was trying to understand the world and what to do. And then I think, and that was a room yeah. that's set up for you. Yes. And then you were in our room next. Yes. Which just was a world that you didn't know, like a world you didn't know, um, a, 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 um, a room with, and I mean, you did very well in the room, but a room that the show in the first half of the first season is this masculine, yes. muscular show. Yes. Um, with um, a tone that Dave and I had spent 20 years. Yes. And then it was a tone, as you know, from my very far away from, from my, well, you know, I mean, it's a very, yeah, it was very different than the kinds of things I was used to writing and, or made. I think at one point I remember when I was struggling with my script and we were talking about mammoth a little bit. And then, and I think you were like, well, imagine that you're, that it's your mammoth, that it's a mammoth script you're writing. And I was like, I remember going home and going like, oh my God, I can't write a fucking mammoth script. If my, life, if my life was at stake, I don't think I could write a mammoth script. Thinking, oh no, I don't know if I have like the the vocabulary. I mean, I know mammoth. I but I was just like, it's so far from my sensibility. Um, yeah. yeah, and of course yeah. you could. In the end, you could. You could figure it out, and we could all. I mean, no, and that's part yeah. of. Hey, part of running a room is to say, yeah. all right, we'll be guardians of the tone. You just tell yes. the story, yeah, 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 which we all got to. Which, but, yes. but but that was also our first season running a show. Yeah. So we're all figuring out right what How that do means. We do this? All David yeah. and I knew was we hear a certain we hear a voice for this, 
how do we find that? Yes. Now we understand. I completely yes, know how to course. do that. Yeah, but, but it was the first four season. episodes in. Yeah. You don't actually know. You no. I think even a veteran um, showrunner in a new show finding the voice is really hard, right? Yes. So that must have been. I can't imagine that must have been. And and for a variety of reasons, life was all unsettled for every. You know, in lots of different ways. How did you get through that time? Ah. Uh... I mean, I, I think I, I did, I, I, I think I approached it similar to the way I talked about with Nurse Jackie. It was just like, okay, what, like, how do I learn how to um, contribute to this show? And how do I learn, um, like, I think the same thing, like trying to listen for what you all wanted, you know, and recognizing sometimes like the gap between that and like what I was, what my particular skills were, but at least trying, I think the first step is always like to try to understand and perceive what's, what's needed. Yes. You, you don't, know? you don't have yeah. an incredibly long time here because you okay. have to go to the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a, yeah. I want to, I'll get to a thing on this. Uh, he, here's something I think is really great was... That at the end of the season, you came to us, and and it's important to say like we got along very well. Like you, yes. we, you were in the sh- and we put you in the show. Yes. <laughs> there was a great deal of fonness, like for, you know, work. We had a lot of um, shared humor about like when you things that would happen. Like we all got along really well. You came to us and you were like, I'm not sure that my voice in this show are ever going to be a really natural fit. And we had said to you, like, you're welcome to come back, but we think you're right, right? It yes. was like really like we were yeah. both like, yes, we can all make this work because yes. you're really smart and we like you. I right. want you to be on the show. And you wanted to like, we all wanted to work together. But like, the, but that, uh, I, and you were like, I want to, perf- I think I have to find a way to perform again. Yes. I want to work with Joel Soloway if it's possible. I'm not sure at that time it was in between. It wasn't sure, clear if you could. Right. But you were like, but I, what do you guys think? And I loved the way you were. I remember we we had it out there, a conversation yeah, yeah. here out in this we lobby. Did, yeah. And um, I thought you handled that amazingly well. And but it was a career risk to do that in a way. Yes. We could have said no. We had you under contract. Yes. We could have said no. Um, you had already seen it's possible that Showtime would have said no if we didn't. We yep. had to really like go to bat to get Showtime to let you go and you know, all that stuff. Right. How did so? Talk a little bit about what you started to realize about how you had to do this work because you were on a hit show. You'd written the hit show. You got a lot out of it. Like yes. you said, like the reactions that people came, like you got. Oh, yeah. Well, it was the first pro- time that people in my hometown like thought like thought I had succeeded it. at anything. Yeah, because yeah. they all watched the show. It was very exciting. Yeah. Right. So, I'm saying, so that happens. <laughs> yes. That, that, that happens. And I mean, it gave me a huge thrill to come to your show and see billions in your yeah. playbill, right? But what happens that makes you be like, fuck I, this might not be that smart career. Like this might not be the smartest career advice. Right. But I have to get back to the theater. And if I can go work on something else that's more speculative, I'm gonna talk about that a little bit. I think, um, I mean, I, I think it's a little bit what I said before, which is actually my, and maybe this is part of like wanting to go back to acting. I just felt, I, I just knew that it didn't, feel right that I need and I knew this after I love dick too that I just I needed 
even if I were to go back to staffing on other people's show, I just needed a period of making my own work. And I also needed a period of performing. It had been a very long time. Yeah. By well, the that, time I you came went to, to go do it. You were like, I'm going to do this play. It might take too long. Yeah, and yeah. besides that, I feel like yes. this might not be the right thing yes. for me to continue to do. Yeah. So that perform- how did that thing start to bubble up for you? Because I think it all ends up in this show. So yeah. In Constitution. So how did this all start to... Did, were you waking up like feeling you weren't quite yourself or like a part of you had died? Like, yeah. Can you talk about that a little? Sure. I think I felt... Um, I did feel separated from myself in a way. You know, I felt div- like a very divided thing. I, I felt divided. And I felt... Also, like, this isn't me. And also, I'm not, um, at that point, too, I understood that I, I, that it didn't, like, I wanted to be able to survive and pay rent and have a, a decent life and all of that, but that I didn't. I didn't care really in any way. It became clear to me that I didn't care in any way about material things. And that. So this is huge. Yes. That I really had zero care for it. And that, like, what really was important to me was to continue living the way I had been living, which is like to try to. Um, which was to be an artist and to be an artist in charge of my own work. Um, so I think, I yeah, I think. Right, that became yeah. clear to you. Yeah. But, but it, I just want to go yeah. deeper in this question. You didn't care about material things. I'm wondering, though, you, you also knew that you'd reached a new level of perma. I, I mean, I'm wondering, yes. right? Because it wasn't, you knew you weren't going to be in a nine, you weren't going to be in a situation where you couldn't afford your rent. Exactly. Because you had gotten, yes. you'd gotten to a place in your career between um, Nurse Jackie, Billions, and then co-show running I Love Dick by the time you finally got to the yes. Constitution. Where it was like, okay, this is, I can, if it gets done, I can always do this now. Yes. I've proven it, yes. right? I can, yes. I, I knew that I would, I, I was employable in television and that I would be able to make some kind of living. So I think I hit a point where I was like, I can't, but my life can't just be that. I'm going to have to take breaks sometimes and I'm going to have to make my own work. And, and if I don't make, make money, plays. then I can do it. And, and, and if I, yeah, and I, I can make less money in order to have these periods where I just get to do theater in order to have these periods where I get to perform. That's great. I don't need to be on some like rocket ship to the top of a, a television show. I can do both things. I can integrate, um, yes. you know, I can integrate my acting self and my writing self. I can integrate my, um, television career and my playwriting career and I can I can do what feels good and feels right instead of thinking there's only one way to I mean it's be awesome successful. that you then yeah. decided to really do it. So you said those ten years you're writing what the constitution means to yeah. me. You're telling yourself I never have to show it to anyone. You're obviously showing it to your husband and your closest friends. Yes. So what happens that makes the choice okay I'm ready and I know that woman said it's time to do this, but <laughs> but but what happens to you that you're able to say, I don't give a fuck anymore. Like what happens to you that you're able to say, did you, a couple, so did you know you had reached a new level of ability to communicate? Cause your other plays are strong, but they're not as direct. Right. And so I'm wondering, did you realize this piece of material as you were writing it? Did you realize, wait, this is fucking good. Did, did you decide I'm just not going to have any vanity anymore? Like what, what happened as an artist that allowed you to go, here's who I am. I think um, 
What I told myself when I did the nine-day run for 70 people a night (laughs) at Club Thumb is that I would do this and get it out of my system and then go back to TV. So I was like, this will be the thing that gives me my chance to perform, that gives me my bit of artistic autonomy so that I will sort of feel satiated in that way. And then I have this great luxury of... I don't have to make my money off this play I'm going to do. I don't even have to, you know, because I was scared, like it it can be a total flop and it doesn't matter. I have another career now. <laughs> so it can be the worst play. I did not think, oh, I've reached a new level of anything. I was like, That's what, no. You I didn't know it was great. 100% did not know that. I thought it might be horrible. And I think I... I um. I think in in part because of the success I'd had in TV, I, I allowed myself to say like, okay, now I can afford to write a horrible play and maybe it's really bad. And also, you know, Jill always said this thing on I Love Dick, which I loved, which is like, here's, here's a terrible piece of art. Here's, um, wait, what is it? It's like, here's a pretty good piece of art. Here's an amazing piece of art. Here's a terrible piece of art. And you kind of have to be willing to... The terrible piece of art is between pretty good because people can't see. Yes. The poles, the poles aren't terrible and great. The no. poles are decent and great. Yes. The problem is between those is terrible. Is terrible. And that's exactly yeah. true. And you really have to risk terrible, <laughs> I think, most of the time to get to something great. And so I sort of went in with that mindset of like, well, you... this might be terrible. But um, maybe it's great. I don't know. And you, well, because twinned with this is that you make this incredibly bold choice in the way that you present yourself at the beginning of the play. And that is as big a risk as writing the play, right? Because you're playing your 14-year-old self yeah, or 12, 15-year-old, 15 year old self. Yeah. So you're, wide, you're, you're playing someone uh, at the very beginning without guile. Yes. Who, beca- I mean, very, who quickly enough right. gets cynical. But... When we first meet you, and I find in any kind of art, casting off all the cynicism and being guileless, and especially the audience doesn't know what you, you suddenly you come out and it's right. you. Yes. And you're playing a guileless 15-year-old. Very, very smart, but guileless 15-year-old. Yes. And, and when people who are older try to play kids, as you know, it's a, often a disaster. Absolutely. Were you scared about very it? Very risky. Yes. <laughs> you were? Yes. So how did, did your, who directed the... Oliver Butler. And so did Oliver help, like, did you guys talk about, I know you wrote it, did you talk about what that presentation was going to be like, or did that just come out of you at first? Um, we talked about, we talked a lot about it, and in the first iterations of the play, I made a very clear decision not to do anything to seem 15, just to let it be in the writing. And I, so I say that at the beginning, I'm not going to do anything special to make myself 15. Now, of course, over the course of performing it, I, I But you do, but emotionally. I, yes, I do. I absolutely do emotionally. Your, your whole demeanor is right, different. Right, It is, right? Yes. I mean, because then you cast it off in the middle of the play. Right. And you're like, look, I'm me. Yes, um, so in the beginning, did you not commit fully to the 15-year-old thing as an actor? I didn't. This was the aesthetic decision we made when we first did it downtown, is that I, like, that 15-year-old is in me still. I yes. frankly think the 47-year-old was in me at 15. Yes. My therapist always says, you know, you already know everything. I'm sure as guileless as she was, she already was grappling with 
the reality of what it is to be a, a teenage girl in this culture. I, she knew but the history. Fifteen of my was family. before that event happened. That really was the bad event, right? Fifteen is when I. Well, yeah, but fifteen was when I learned about my family's history. Yes. Um, well. So yeah, so I just made this decision that like time was one that all time was existing simultaneously in this play, so that I didn't have to play fifteen. And also, the truth is like the. Like, I am still guileless in some ways. There is a part of me that's very innocent. Also, the 15-year-old persona is a persona that I still use in the world to great effect, which is a kind of mask of, I say, like, truly, like, a mask of openness, a mask of cheerfulness, a mask of guilelessness. It's like that. Yeah. So so it, the whole play is about me wrestling with that. Yeah, what it means to be a woman. Mask. I mean, a woman who has to put those masks. Who has ha- a, women, yes. not just a woman. Women who yes. have to put on these things so they don't get murdered. Yes. I mean, that is what. The yes. pl- I mean, you're talking a lot about that in the play. I am. Yes. Um, so in that sense, it was she was very see, I easy. It I know you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. Watch closely. <laughs> in a sense, that 15 year old was very easy to access because I really she is with me all the time, and I, it's, it's the part. You know, I feel like when I come out and talk to the audience, that's the most like open, charming part of myself. Okay, I, My friend I, who's a cabaret performer calls it. She's like, "You're doing a cabaret persona." We have to go. No, to I know the, you have to go, but I have to ask you like yeah, three, yeah. Three, three more things. Yeah. So you performed the play. Obviously, yeah. people loved it, and then you had to make the decision: Am I going to keep going? Yes. Was that a hard decision or an easy decision? It was a hard decision, in part because I had to talk to my mom about how very public everything was going to become. Wow. Um, and. Because in the beginning, this is not true anymore, but in the beginning, it just, it actually cost me so much to perform it. It was exhausting and I felt sick to my stomach a lot. Sure, that makes Um, sense. Because you're reliving your childhood. Yes, yeah. So I wasn't sure. Um, And again, I was like, do I, you know, I had a number of jobs for wonderful, a number of offers for wonderful TV jobs. And I was like, so you're, so my choice is to go back to a, you know, a TV job that'll probably be hard but really fun and pay me well, or I can go perform this off-Broadway for $700 a week and be sick to my stomach every night. Because you weren't thinking about Broadway then, Heidi? <laughs> no. I None of us thought about... I mean, I didn't, I didn't know the show was going to Broadway until December 25th. Like the, until like but it wasn't in ago. your mind, like, this will go to Broadway. No. No. And... Um, so let's circle because you have to go. I, mean, I feel I've done a bad job of this. There's <laughs> no, so no, much no. more I want to ask you. I have, but as as I have a couple extra minutes, as long yes. as I can get to the theater, yeah, you'll yeah, be able yeah. to get. Okay. Yeah. So you're um, when you find out you're going to go to Broadway. Yes. Is that the moment that you like understand your life's forever changed? No. When when's the moment? <laughs> So what's the moment when you understand? I know this is the moment, but no, I... No, when is the moment no, no. where you were like, my life's going to... No, seriously, when's the moment you're like, oh. I think there were two. Okay, so first of all, when it's going to go to Broadway, a lot of people told me it was a terrible idea, including people... Um, I was given a lot of advice by people I trust to to wait, that if it was meant to go to Broadway, it would go in six months when there was time to build up ticket sales and there were too many plays on Broadway this spring. There were something like 24 plays this season or something that it was too competitive. Um, that I was told again by people I trust that plays written by women historically, statistically don't make money on Broadway, especially if they resemble anything like a one woman show, which mine does, even though there are three of us. Um, so I, I almost, I almost said no um, 
And then I woke up like with night sweats because I'm perimenopausal at like four in the morning and was like, I have to do it. Like I can't. If somebody's holding the door open for me, even if it closes on the second night, my play went to Broadway. I said, it's it's not going to be, it's not going to be my fault if it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm not going to be the one who stops myself. <laughs> if someone else wants to stop me, great. That's awesome. So you took yeah. the risk of failure. So I, took the risk. I called my agent and was like, I, this could be a horrible idea, but I, I want to do it. And he was like, great, made it happen. And, and I don't think it was until the reviews came out and they were all great. And then the play kept selling out week after week. I think at the, like, the third week that we were like, we're sold out again, I was like, oh, maybe... This Maybe works. something huge has changed. And then when we got nominated for the Tonys, I think that probably felt like the moment. That was probably the moment. And do you now, do you feel like, okay, I have my feet under me in a way that I never have before? I do. That's awesome. Yes, thank you. That What a great thing. It's an incredible feeling, actually. Do you wake up sometimes and be like, oh, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. And I also, um, you know, I've also... Because of the play, I've I've met so many incredible people. You know, I've been a Constitution nerd since I was a teenager, and so to have people like uh, Lawrence Tribe come to the play or Neil, yeah, my buddy like, Neil Cattell yeah, came, yeah, and to have them respond so passionately um, has been a great. I mean, it's a that that's a huge uh, source of validation to me because I really did I. I taught myself all of this stuff listening to the Supreme Court recordings online. And so to, to know that the way I'm thinking about things and the research I've done and the ideas I'm grappling with are meaningful is actually maybe, maybe that's the moment, really. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you, you did all this work and you took this huge creative risk and it's paid off like this. And um, Man, seeing the play, like I said, it was so moving to me, and um, I'm just so fucking happy for you. Thank and you, you, you was robbed at the Tonys, but <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter. Really, it it no, doesn't matter really doesn't at matter. all. <laughs> the great Heidi Schreck. Listen, the show is running for a while longer. Yes, August 24th. It, yeah, and then we're going to DC. For how long? Uh, two weeks in September, which I think... Go see... The, if you're in New York or D.C., go see what the Constitution means to me. It is. And take your kids. Like, I have to send uh, my... I have to send my son to come and daughter to come see the show. Um, it is... Uh, they've been out of town, but they're back now, and uh, they should see the show. It is... You can see it with your family. I wouldn't bring a kid under 10, necessarily. Nope. Nope. But a kid who's in their teens can definitely handle all the content. It is... An incredible play about what it means to be an American, um, what it means to be an American woman, uh, what it means, uh, what it ought to mean to be an American man. And um, there's never been a more important time for this play to be on Broadway. Heidi, I'm so glad you wrote it. You can find Heidi on social media at, what are you at? Uh, I met uh, Heidi Shrek on Twitter. Heidi B. Shrek. Uh, Yeah. Okay, are you on the gram or no? Or oh, it? yes, I am on the gram. Just my name, Heidi Shrek. Okay, and you can find me at Brian Koppelman uh, on either or any, and you can email me at the moment, pkgmail.com if you need me. Heidi Shrek, get to the theater. Thanks so much for being here. Everybody else, see you next time. Thanks for having me, Brian. <laughs> <laughs>